Well, good morning, Lighthouse. Wow, it's filling up. What an amazing thing! You know, it's good to see. It's good to see my brothers and sisters, and then um, we've got some. We got some visitors here. You know, it. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm thankful. You know, it. Uh, uh, you guys could have been anywhere else, anywhere else on the face of the earth, and you chose to spend some time with us this morning. So we're blessed that you're here. I, um, I hope what. Uh, um, the worship experience that you have uh, blesses you and that you'll come back. <clears throat> well, I guess uh, uh, turning your Bibles to Revelation 4.1, um, Sermon of Day's only got one verse, so if you get lost, you can kind of go back right to this one verse and, and um, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get back to it. But uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. John writes, he says, After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee things which must, uh, which must be hereafter. Now, for those of you that have, have read Revelation, as you move into this fourth chapter, you find that uh, you're heading into some pretty strange country. See, you just left the past as you dealt with the seven churches in Asia Minor. Yet while you studied those churches, just like we're finding out in, uh, in Sunday school, even though it, uh, you're dealing with the past, as you studied those churches, you find that in reality, you're very much in the present. Now when you get to this chapter, you're just about to step off into the future. This chapter and the one that follows takes us into the very throne room of God where we can see ourselves and what we will be doing when we get to heaven. And after that, our focus will be primarily on the earth until you get to about chapter 21. What I want you to understand this morning is that Revelation 4.1 is a very, very special verse in the Bible. In fact, as you read Revelation, if you don't understand this verse, then it's going to be hard for you to understand the rest of the book. If you mess up here, you're going to be out of step all the way through the rest of this great book. You know, I was thinking about that when I, uh, as, as I was writing this. Have you guys ever, ever buttoned your shirt, only get down to the last button, and find out you didn't have a buttonhole to put it in? You ever done it twice? <laughs> you know, i got to look in a mirror to take and button my shirt these days. But it, it, what it usually happens is uh, you back up and you, you see what happened, and you usually find that your problem with that shirt began right at the start. If the right button isn't placed in the right buttonhole, it stands to reason when you look in the mirror, when you get to the, the top, you're in trouble. Things will never, ever turn out right. And here's the deal. It's the same with this book. Since this verse is so vital, I want to take some time and, and, and I want to move through it in detail today. Now, I mean, I, mean, I don't know if uh, you know this or not, but this verse... This one verse right here is all about our future. 
And what it tells us is about the day when all the children of God will leave this world altogether. And not altogether, but together. So I want to show you the facts as they're presented in this verse. And I want to preach on the thought, moving day. See, so the first thing I want you to see is the importance of this verse. See, it, it's a transitional verse in the, uh, in, in, the, in the scheme of things within Revelation. See, I want you to notice that this verse begins with the phrase, after this, and it ends with the word hereafter. Now, in the Greek text, these words are exactly the same. Both of these English expressions trans translate the Greek words metatata. And it means exactly that, after this or hereafter. Now, this isn't the first time that we've encountered this phrase, even in this book. If we look back to Revelation 1.19, Jesus tells John to write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be, what? Hereafter. Metatata shows up here too. John is, is commanded to write three different things at the very uh, start of this book. He has to write the things which he's seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. And that's our phrase. It's that Greek phrase, metatata, that ties these verses together. Now, what we have in, in Revelation 1.19 is the basic outline of the entire book of Revelation. You have the things which thou hast seen. It points to the events in chapter 1. The things which are. It points to the events of chapter 2 and 3, or the letters to the seven churches. Notice the last words of chapter 3. It says in uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 22, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So these events cover history of the visible church from the days of the apostles unto the end of the church age. That's why when you read about the seven churches in Asia, you look at Ephesus, you look at uh, um, Smyrna, you look at Thyatira, you look at uh, uh, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and you look at the problems they are facing, and you take and you look and you go, you know what, the world hadn't changed a bit. This is what we're seeing not only in our country but in, in our churches right now. This is what our people are believing right now. It, it, it's, it, it's, it, it is right there in front of you. In fact, uh, as you study the, uh, the seven churches and the seven letters, your mouth just kind of hits your chest because we're like, well, how could this be happening back then when I'm seeing it on the news today? It's, it's absolutely amazing. The things which shall be hereafter, it points to the events that will occur, uh, occur after the age of the church has ended. See, chapters 4 and 5 find us, the redeemed saints, um, uh, in heaven. We're in God's presence and we're worshiping Him there. Chapters 6 through 19 in the book of Revelation deal with the tribulation period. It deals with the great tribulation. And it 
uh, and it deals with the wrath of God as he judges this sinful world and he purifies his people Israel. So in the big scheme of things, Revelation 4.1, this one little verse is an important verse that, that has to be understood correctly if we're going to stay on, on track as we move through this book. It's also important because it signals a time of transition for the people of the Lord. It signals a time of transition for us. See, after this point, the church is never mentioned again as being on the earth. We come back, but we're never mentioned again as being on the earth as we know it. And this verse tells us about the day when we're going to be moving up to heaven. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to that day. I want you to see that this verse here, it's a typical verse. See, this verse, it tells that one man, John, who was the writer of Revelation, he was called up into heaven. Just one man is affected here. Just John. But in this verse, John is a representative man. He is a type. And it's, uh, it, he pictures what will happen to all those believers who are living on the earth when Jesus comes back for his uh, people in the rapture. Now, I don't want to give away the rest of the message, but this event called the rapture, is very important. In fact, it's the, it's the next gigantic event on um, our timetable. And it could happen at any moment. It could, it could happen a thousand years from now. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen before I finish this message. There's nothing really left to be fulfilled before Jesus comes for his church again. But when the rapture occurs there's going to be several events that are set into motion. First of all, I want, you to, uh, I want you to see that the bride of Christ, which is the church, will be taken out of the world. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And in verse 18, Paul tells him, he says, Wherefore, because of this, comfort one another with these words. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the way. He, uh, the second thing I want you to see is he's not going to be removed from the world, but he'll continue to work as he did before the church age. But in uh, first Thess uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.7, it says, For the mystery of iniquity, iniquity doth work already. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The third thing that I want you to see is that this sinful, rebellious world, the moment this happens, once the church is gone, once the Holy Spirit, the one who restrains, is no longer restraining, this sinful, rebellious world will be plunged into a great tribulation. 
Jesus spoke about it in Matthew chapter 24. He says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not the, uh, since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So this, this verse stands as a type. It stands as a picture of what will happen when Jesus returns for his children. And I got to ask, are you ready for that day? As I said, it could happen at any moment. Matthew 24, verse 44, Jesus tells us, he says, Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. I want you to see the illustrations of this verse this morning. <clears throat> see, the book, the book of Revelation is a book that is filled with signs and its symbols and illustrations. Most people don't even like to get into this book because they, they don't understand the signs and the symbols and, and these illustrations. And, and back in Revelation 1, right from the very beginning, we're told that he sent and signified it. Now, take that word signified and sound it out, just like you were in second grade. If you do, it becomes what? Signified. In other words, the Lord tells John right from the outset that he's going to reveal um, some of the content of this book in signs and symbols. Now, if you've read the, the book of Revelation at all, you know how true this is. I mean, think about it. Jesus is pictured as a lamb. A beast rises out of the sea. Now, this sea isn't the ocean. It's a multitude of people. The New Jerusalem is pictured as a bride. The Antichrist is called the beast. And, there, and there's many other examples that could be given. But here's the deal. The, the use of symbols in no way changes what God says. Everything that he says will come to pass as a literal event. He merely uses the language of symbolism to describe the actual events. And he uses symbols so that people of all generations will be able to understand what he means. There are two symbols or illustrations given to encourage us in this verse, and, and I want to look at them today. The, the first uh, symbol involved the eyes. Look, at, uh, look back at our, our text, Revelation 4.1. John says, you know what, after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. John says, he says he literally saw a door opened in heaven. Now, this, this phrase literally means that there was a door standing wide open. This is the third door actually encountered in Revelation to this point. Let's look at a couple doors that you would have seen so far. Um, first was the door of service. See, the church in Philadelphia is told in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Jesus says, you know what? I know your works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. This is the, this is the uh, door of gospel opportunity and service. See, when a, when a church is biblical, and when it's, when it's walking after the will of the Lord, 
the Lord will set before it a door of ministry. He's doing that with our church right now. He, he gives us the opportunity to share the gospel. He, gives, he equips us so that we can go out and tell a lost world about Jesus. That is that door of service. The second door that, um, uh, that we're looking at is the door of salvation and fellowship. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, you know what? He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. See, for those, uh, those people in the church of Laodicea, both sinner and saint are invited to open the doors of their heart. They're invited to take and, and, and listen, take and, and make up your mind and to let Jesus come into your life. See, the, the lost heart is closed to Jesus. But if it's opened, he'll enter. He'll save. He'll save whosoever will. The hardened heart, and there's a lot of saints with hardened hearts, and there's a lot of situations why um, a, a Christian's heart would harden. But that hardened heart is closed to Jesus as well. But you know, the truth is, it has nothing to do with our salvation. If that hardened heart is opened, that fellowship that Jesus is talking about. He'll come in and he'll sup. He'll fellowship with us. That fellowship is restored. In our text, the door in heaven is shown to be standing open. And the, and the tense of this verb makes uh, means that this door has been opened and it will continue to stand open for all who desire to enter in. Now, we know who the door is. Does it surprise you that the door is a person? In John 10, 9, Jesus identified himself as the door. In fact, John 10, 9, it says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is the only way to heaven. People don't go to heaven through the door of this church regardless of, of the name over the door. People don't enter heaven through their good works. They don't go in by their own power. The only door into salvation in heaven is Jesus Christ. He is the one who died. He's the one who rose again. He is the one who paid the price for our salvation. He is the only way to the Father. John fourteen six, uh, Jesus said himself, he says, I am the way. I'm the truth and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now here's the deal. Today, that door, is, it stands wide open. And it will allow whosoever will to enter in and find peace, to find rest, salvation, and heaven. But when the Lord calls His people home to heaven, that door of salvation will close. When the rapture happens and the church goes home, that door of salvation closes. People will be saved after the rapture. In fact, it's uh, the biggest evangelistic explosion the world has ever seen. You have angels from heaven preaching the gospel. 
but only those who have never heard or had an opportunity to respond to the gospel will be saved. In fact, 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, it says, And for this cause God shall send them, those who didn't respond, strong delusion that they should believe a lie. They that, might, uh, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's a hard verse to swallow. You know, in the story of Matthew 25, we're told that five out of ten of them virgins failed to prepare for the bridegroom. And by the time they were ready, the opportunity had passed and the door was shut. Matthew 25.10 says, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him uh, to the marriage, and the door was shut. My point here is, it's foolish. It's absolutely foolish to presume upon time when it comes to your eternal soul. If you've been waiting to walk through that door of salvation, today's that day. You shouldn't wait any longer. The time to enter will soon be gone forever. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6 too, it says, For he saith, he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It says, Don't put it off. Proverbs 27 1. It says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for, uh, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. This open door in our text is also seen as a door of summons. It says, After this, uh, Revelation 4 1 says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, What? Come up here. He was summoned to come up there. One day, those who uh, have been saved will be called to go through that open door into heaven. There's one more door I want to show you before we move on. It's the door of splendor. It's another door in heaven. In fact, Revelation 19, 11 says, And I saw heaven open. Now this is after the rapture. It's after the, uh, the church is in heaven. And in 1911, Jesus is coming back. This is his second coming, and we're coming with him. And in 1911, it said, heaven has been shut up to this point. And it says, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called faithful and true, and in him righteous, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. One day heaven will be opened again after uh, the rapture. And this time, it's not going to be for, to allow people to enter. It's going to open to allow Jesus to re return to this earth with his church. And he's returning not as a suffering servant. He's returning in splendor. He's returning in power and glory to stamp out evil and establish his kingdom. Now, the other symbol I'd like to show you this morning um, is that in this verse, it, it involved not only the eyes, but the ears. See, not only did John see a door, John heard a trumpet. Now, 
This is the language of symbolism. In, in, uh, in our text, it says, And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. I mean, was Louis Armstrong playing a song? No. This trumpet, this, this voice, um, uh, 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 this voice he heard was like a trumpet. It was talking to him, and it says, Come up here. What John heard was not an actual trumpet. But it was a noise like that of a trumpet. What is a trumpet? It's piercing. It's loud. It's demanding. It, uh, it demands attention. It has authority. And, and trumpets, they, they were a, a, a very important uh, part of the life in ancient Israel. You know, uh, as we go back to the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 10, in fact, we can look through verses 1 through 10. It's a good read sometime if, uh, if you're curious. Um, but... In, in these verses, God gives instructions for the use of trumpets to Israel. And, and they were to make two trumpets of silver. And God takes in, uh, and shows them that there are uh, different types of trumpet blasts for various events. See, the trumpets were to be blown when it was time to break camp and move. The trumpets, uh, we read there, uh, blew to announce sacrifices on feast days. The trumpets blew to summon the priests to the tabernacle. The trumpets were used to sound an alarm in a time of war or danger. And see, it, it was very important to the people of Israel, um, and it was very important that the people listened to the various trumpet blasts. And it was very important that the trumpeteers made the right sound. See, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 8, Paul writes, he says, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? If it's, if it's the wrong blast. You know, I remember in the Navy, we relied on bells and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and whistles. And there were, there were bells for this and that. And if they blew the wrong one, you might be going to chow when it was general quarters. You know, you should have been locked in your, uh, you should have been locked in your workspace or your birthing or strapped to your, strapped to your rack because you're going through the edge of a typhoon and they've blown a, a all clear and we're walking around the deck and people are breaking arms. Same way with these trumpets. If, if they blew the wrong, uh, the wrong trumpet blast, Maybe they were going to battle and, then, and they were saying, hey, look, it's time to break camp. They quit. Or maybe there was an attack imminent and, and they're saying, hey, you know what? It's time to uh, uh, together and worship. Well, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I don't know that I want to do it with a, uh, with, uh, um, a couple uh, thousand screaming people with swords coming down on top of me. But trumpet blasts, it, 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 they had to make the right, uh, the right sound. And, and trumpets not only figured heavily into the Old Testament, they figure heavily into the New Testament, particularly in connection with end-time events. Look back at 1 Thessalonians 4.16. It tells us that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and with what? The trump of God. This trump is blown, and it says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. See, there, this verse shows us that there will be a trumpet that will sound signaling the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15.52 also speaks of a trumpet sound in connection with the rapture. 
It says in, in, in that verse, it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. What is the twinkling of an eye? They say it's like one, I mean, it, it, it's faster than you can blink. But in that moment, in a, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and it says the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and, uh, and shall, uh, we shall all be changed. We're going to shed this body here and put on our, um, uh, our glorified body faster than, I, uh, faster than I can snap. And we'll be with the Lord faster than I can snap. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing, amazing thing. But do you see the connection here? It appears that God will use a trumpet sound to signal his people when it's time to depart just as they did in the Old Testament when it's time to break camp. I don't think the world will hear it. But somehow I believe we were implanted with a special listening device the moment we're saved. We're going to know what that is. And when that trumpet sound, it's going to be time for us to break camp and move off to glory. When that trumpet sound, it will signify a declaration of war on sin and evil uh, and, and on this evil world system. And one of these days, a trumpet blast will sound and the saints will leave this world behind forever. Look back at our text. John says, And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. John says that this trumpet, this, this, uh, this, uh, this blast was a voice and it was talking to him and it said, come up hither. When I look at that, I have to wonder if this is not the voice of the Lord calling for his people. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, we're told that the Lord himself will descend from uh, heaven with a shout. The Lord uh, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's also um, uh, interceding for us in a 24-hour prayer. But it says the Lord himself is coming back to get his bride. He's going to descend from heaven with a shout. When Jesus comes, that trumpet will call the living up. But it's his shout that will call the dead. Look at the New Testament. Every time Jesus shouted in the Bible, there was a resurrection. He shouted at the tomb of Lazarus. And what did Lazarus do? He got up. John 11, 43, it says, And when he, had, uh, when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He shouted on Calvary. He shouted at the cross. And many of the dead saints rose. Matthew 27, verse 50, it says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. 
Jesus is going to shout again. We're going to hear that voice again. And at the rapture, all of the redeemed will hear his voice and come out of the grave. It says, in, uh, as I said, we've, we've read this. In verse 17, it says, uh, or in verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend with he- from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now, you know, I don't know what Jesus is going to say when he comes. I mean, he, he may say, come up hither. He may say, come forth. He may say, come home. Whatever he says on that day, his voice is going to cause gravity to lose hold on me. I'm going to be changed into his likeness in the twinkling of an eye, and I'm going to meet him in the air. I'm going to be going home. Let's look at the implications of this verse. You know, there's uh, as you look at this, there's just a river of glory running through this precious verse. And, and I don't want to miss the implications of this verse for our lives. First off, this verse speaks of a deliverance. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet, talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. John is told here that he is going to see things which must be hereafter. He's referring to future things. See, as you read Revelation, in a very short time, you move into chapter 6. And you move beyond chapter 6. And when you get there, you're going to encounter details of events too horrible and amazing to comprehend. And when you come to chapter 6, you're going to witness a vivid, vivid description of the events that the people on earth are going to be facing. It's a, uh, it's a vivid description of the tribulation period. And, and I think it's significant that John is caught up into heaven before the tribulation. And, and before the tribulation period begins. See, as I mentioned, John is a representative man. He pictures the church and its removal from this world before the horrors of the tribulation begin to unfold. And that's exactly what the rapture of the church is. It is a rescue mission. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.17. It says, then we, we are, when, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul uses the word caught up. And he uses it to describe what we call the rapture. Now, in fact, the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible at all. And I don't want you to, uh, don't let that throw you. Because the word grandfather doesn't appear there either. Got any granddads in here today? Word corn dog and funnel cake ain't in there either. But they, they tend to exist. See, the, the word rapture is a Latin translation of the Greek word harpazo, which is the word translated caught up in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. This word harpazo, it literally means to seize and to carry off by force. 
If you saw your child, let's, uh, let's just throw out some. If you saw your child about to be hit by a car and you ran out and you snatched that child out of the path of the oncoming vehicle to save his life, then you got the meaning of this word. It has the idea of snatching someone forcefully and rescuing them from danger. And, and as we look into the time of the tribulation, there is a terrible time coming on this earth. God's going to pull his people out. And he's going to break off diplomatic relations with the world. And then he's going to declare war on sin and sinners. And then he's going to take his church out before that time comes. Now, there are some people that believe that the church will be here for the tribulation. They say, you know, the, the modern church is just so filthy and, and so impure that God will leave it here to be cleaned up during that awful time. Let me just, just ask those people one question. What could the tribulation possibly do for the church that the blood of Jesus can't? Absolutely nothing. You know... Yes, there's sinners and there's sin in the church. If you find a perfect church, run. I wouldn't stay there. I mean, we're the biggest collection of has-beens and never was-es, and we all got our little bit of uh, all of our imperfections. Each one of us has a problem that we don't like to talk about. But that's what makes us us. We're 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 God's beautiful little mud pies as imperfect as we are. Now, there's sinners and, and, and sin in the church, but here's the deal. When we are caught up, we're going to face uh, Jesus at the beam of seat of Christ. And you know what? We're going to give an account of our deeds and our lives. But you know what? This isn't for judgment. That's already been taken care of. It's for reward. What did you do with this marvelous gift that you've been given? Our sin was paid for at Calvary. When we see Jesus again and we appear at the Bemis, it's for reward. And we're going to cast those crowns we receive right at His feet. Let me share a few reasons why I believe the church will be rescued before the tribulation period. You know, and, and this is one of those... I consider non-essential doctrines. This is what, uh, uh, you know, I believe. You're welcome to believe anything you want. But let me share a few reasons why I believe the church will be rescued before the tribulation period begins. And there isn't time this morning to read all the scriptural references with it, but they're going to be shown on the PowerPoint. They're annotated in this sermon. If you want to study it, please get a copy. But the truth is, our salvation has delivered us from His wrath. It tells us that in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 5.9. Secondly, we're looking for the blessed hope. We're not looking for the, the horrors of the tribulation, the Antichrist, and the wrath of God. The, the rapture, it, it says, no man knows the time I'm coming. If the rapture occurs after the tribulation begins, what are we looking for? I, I know there's only seven years in the tribulation, so the Antichrist comes on the scene. I know I've got at least three and a half to seven years to make it right. There's a timetable. 
There's no timetable before the tribulation. Um, Biblical types, if we go back to the Old Testament, the biblical type suggests that we're going to be taken out before the tribulation. Enoch, he was removed before the flood. It tells us that in Genesis chapter 5. Lot was removed before Sodom was destroyed. There's a clear pattern. God removes his people before he manifests his wrath. One other, one other proof is found actually in this book. And, it's, and I'd encourage you to go back and look. Revelation chapter 2, verses 7, 11, 17, 29. Revelation chapter 3, verses 6, 13, and 22. In these verses, Jesus uses the words, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In Matthew 13, 9 and 43, Jesus says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. There's no mention of the Spirit. Or the churches. Of course, at this point, the church, um, uh, this was before the church was formed and before the Spirit was given. But here's the deal. You say, uh, you know, you could argue that, but look at Revelation 13, 9. The church has been taken out. This is after uh, uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. The church is now um, in heaven. And Revelation 13, 9, this verse says that if any man have an ear, let him hear. Do you see the difference between what was in the letters to the uh, um, uh, the churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and right here? Do you see the difference? Jesus does not mention either spirit or the churches. Why? Because they, have both, uh, they were both removed at the rapture. Praise God. We will not be here for the tribulation. What we see here is exactly what happens in our world when war breaks out between two nations. When hostilities, we, we see this on the news all the time. See, when, when hostilities begin to rise, one of the first things a nation does is what? It calls its ambassadors home. And the church is God's ambassadors in this world. 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. Uh, we pray you in Christ's stead be you reconciled to God. See, before war is declared on this earth, he's going to call his people home to be with him. Thank God we're leaving before the worst comes. You know, some years ago, I remember a story about when Billy Graham was preaching at the University of Hawaii. And he was talking about the second coming of the Lord. And he was talking about the rapture. And one of the students said to him, Mr. Graham, doesn't this matter of the second coming of the church seem like escapism to you? And Billy Graham replied, he says, well, perhaps it does. But young man, before Satan gets through with this old world, we all going to be looking for the exit signs. And I agree with that. One of these days, we will be glad for the fact that Jesus is taking us out of here before things get real bad. As bad as it is today, we haven't seen anything yet. The stage is now just being set. Finally, and I see the sigh of relief, this verse speaks of a destination. See, not only is there going to be an escape, praise God, there's also going to be an entrance. 
1 Thessalonians 4.17 says that so shall we ever be with the Lord. See, folks, when, when we pass from this world through that open door in the heavens, we're going home. We're headed to that place Jesus promised to prepare for us. John 14.1 says, he told the disciples, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And I don't think it's a stretch to put forever at the end of that. See, when we arrive there, when we arrive in heaven, we're going to join the saints of all ages in the presence of the Lord in his city. Imagine the Old Testament saints. I, I don't know how many of them I want to talk to. You know, it, uh, there's, there's just questions I want to ask. But imagine the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints together in that city. Imagine the martyrs of all ages, the preachers, the faithful church folks, all together in glory. Imagine that city free from the curse of this world, free from death, free from pain, and free from sin. And imagine seeing Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Ghost. Revelation 22.3 says, And there will be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. Imagine that day when we go home. You know, one day we won't have to imagine it because we're going to be there. There's some exciting days ahead for the church. And we're about to leave this world behind forever. Soon, and very soon, I believe, we're going to see the king. And that's the message of this verse. This verse says, we're going to be moving one of these days. And I believe, as I said, sooner than later, it's going to be moving day. Question I got for you, and let me close with this thought. Are you in this verse? Ask yourself this morning, be honest with it. Are you in this verse? John was called up to heaven, and one day every saved child of God will be called up too. Will you be in that number? When the Lord comes and raptures his church, will you go with him? Or will you be left behind to face that tribulation? If you saved, then praise his name. There's a great day coming for you. If you not, please let us help you with this. While there's still hope, before it's too late. Ask us about them classes before you leave. Pastor. the question is pretty obvious and that question is are you ready this particular subject is uh, somewhat complex who's going and who's not going is not complex the uh, you hear you hear a lot of talk about the rapture of the church 
that terminology is not in the scripture. The word rapture means caught up, and that's what's there. But the, the actual terminology that fits the best, yeah, every, every member of the Lord's churches is going. But it's actually for the rapture of the saints. There are people who are going to heaven that aren't part of the church. And in Hebrews, you're going to read about the church of the firstborn and the general assembly all being in heaven together. You see, it kind of, it kind of comes down to a, a motivation here. Why, why should you worry about getting saved right now? Making sure you're saved. But you've got time. You think you've got time. You don't know if you have time or not. There's two. There's a couple of things that come without warning, and one of them is obviously what you've been hearing about today. That trumpet's going to sound without warning. In a time you think not, that's when Jesus is coming. There's another thing coming without warning, and that's the end of your <clears throat> your days here in this world. Jesus may come before we finish, and you may keel over dead before we finish. And you say, "Well, you're just trying to scare me." Actually, I'm not. I don't. I don't want you to trust Jesus because you're scared of having to be caught here in the, in the tribulation period. I want you to trust Jesus because nobody ever loved you like he loves you. And that deserves a response from every one of us. If you've got a heart at all, you ought to be thanking Jesus that he died for your sins and paid your debt. And the reason that you're here to worship this morning is because he loves you and he is worthy of your praise. Everything about this whole program is based on love. It's not based on fear. Oh, there's plenty to be afraid of. Dying without Jesus ought to be the scariest thing that ever has come into your mind. And the only, the only way to, join, to avoid that is to make sure you're in Christ. I didn't get saved because I was scared of going to hell. Oh, I was scared of going to hell. But I didn't get saved because I was scared of going to hell. I spent my whole first 26 years, the biggest part of that, scared of going to hell. But didn't think there was anything I could do about it. And I was right. There wasn't anything I could do about it. I just needed to meet the one who could do something about it. And I did. And the incredible love that, that I realized was there that day. The whole reason Jesus went through that torture and that pain and that agony and that death on the cross was because I couldn't live good enough to make any difference. He did it for me. He did it for you. And if that's not a good enough reason for you to put your trust in him 
and for you to then come and worship him and for you to then want to become a part of his church, his body, and then serve him and all those other things that we Christians do. If his love isn't enough to motivate you to do that, I, I just can't I just can't come up with anything that'll do it. The Bible says that it is the love of Christ that leads us to repentance. You say, well, I, I tried to repent and I couldn't do it. You can't repent of your sin if you're lost. You can't. You, you have no strength. Repentance to lost people doesn't mean quit sinning. It means quit trusting in whatever you're putting your hope in and put your trust in Jesus that paid your debt, that did it all, and he didn't need your help to do it. So you say, well, you mean I could repent? Yeah, you can. The moment that you understand what Jesus did for you and you put your trust in him to save you, that's the moment you repented that's what it's talking about in the Bible. It means to change because of a new understanding. And that new understanding is that Jesus paid your debt. And you can't do it yourself. So, the question is, are you ready? Some of you say, yes, I am ready, and I know I'm ready, and I know I'm saved. And some of you can't say that at all. Because you don't know that you're ready and you don't know that you're saved. But we can show you how. We can. We've done it before. We've done it for most of you here. Jesus do all the saving by himself. But I can show you how it works. Let's stand. The song is to Jesus and it says you never let go there's a lot of there's a lot of heartache and trouble coming but if you're in Christ he'll never let go if you're not sure you're saved you don't have to come up here and make a show out of it you just let me know you need help with it and we'll set it up for you and make it happen on a time that you can know what you're doing and understand it. That's what Basic Bible Truths is all about. That's why we do it. It's for you from the Lord.